With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show. An idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Hello, hello, hello. It is a, well, I was going to say it's a beautiful day in Minnesota, but, you know, sometimes that's a matter of choice. It's actually been a rainy day here in Minnesota today. But um, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Speedway Show. On the Speedway Show, we choose to make it a beautiful day no matter what the elements decide, right? Today, we are talking about how we're going to tame my kids, 6 to 24 months. This is the best time. I have to tell you, uh, I'll start with some caveats. I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a super nanny. I am just a parent who's been through it full-time twice. I have looked after other people's babies because what you know is that when you have little ones, they tend to proliferate and you find yourself with other people's little ones in your house from time to time for play dates and birthday parties and all of that. Uh, I'm not a perfect parent, but I did get some things right. And because, and and I confess I didn't do it by myself, so uh, I have two daughters who are now eight and a half, and uh, my elder just turned 11. And uh, when I do that show, you'll hear me say, no, this is the best time. But uh, when they were little, I thought, this is the best time. So it wasn't just me. Their dad and I, um, I think, worked very well together because we always agreed on how to raise the kids and discipline, and we were always in sync. And actually, I attribute a lot of the success that we have had in raising these girls so far to the fact that we had very similar values when it came to kid raising, and um, we have reaped the benefits. So I'm not a perfect parent. He's not a perfect parent, but we got a lot of things right and that is part of the basis for this show, to to give you pointers based on my own experiences uh, raising two little girls as well as the experiences of other parents and uh, things that we have borrowed from others and watched other parents do that have been very effective in a positive way in the raising of their children. The other thing I will tell you is I carry no guilt about the stuff that we didn't get. And I would tell you right now that actually you shouldn't either. I find that a lot of parents, especially in American society, seem to have a great deal of guilt about their parenting skills. Did I stay home long enough? Should I have stayed home instead of going to work? Was it wrong that I spent too much? I don't I don't hear as much guilt around spending time at home. 
as much as I hear around parents who chose to go back to work instead of staying home until their kids were, you know, either in school or out of the house. And um, But the guilt that comes often from uh, parents who do stay home is, well, gee, did I did I do a good enough job? Did I teach them enough? Was I too coddling? Uh, did I expose them to enough things? And what about that one day that I got mad? Might it, you know, um, uh, change who they are forever? You know, and I say, well, as a parent, you know, you do the best you can. And you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And many of us are influenced quite heavily by the way we were parented. So some of us say, well, you know, I hated that one thing that my parents did. I'll never do it again. Other parents say, you know, I I will never be like my dad or I'll never be like my mom. And lo and behold, they find themselves saying exactly the same thing that their parents said to them, and they think, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. But that's the way parenting goes. So carry no guilt, and uh, you, you wake up every day is a new day. And it's a day that you get to start over and get it right, no matter what's happened before. I cannot cover every aspect of this topic, but my goal is really to tackle the most difficult things that a lot of parents face. If you have particular requests for things that you'd like me to cover, whether it's about this or any other topic, drop me a line at speedway at speedway.com. And uh, hopefully you know how to spell my name, because if you found this blog, you probably do. But it's S-P-I-W-E, Speedway at Speedway.com. Feel free to shoot me an email, tell me what's on your mind. Or you can visit the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Speedway Show. Or you can email me from the website, Speedway.com or TheSpeedwayShow.com. They will all take you to the same place. Um. Another thing I'll tell you is you can visit the website for articles, books, and resources that uh, might be of use to you as you are trying to tame your child. Now, when my first child, her name is Olivia, when Olivia was born, notwithstanding the fact that we weren't able to sleep for the first three months, notwithstanding the fatigue, notwithstanding all the yeah, the panic over, you know, health issues. We think she's having trouble breathing. She had respiratory problems, my, my little one, when she was little. So, you know, we were back and forth with the doctors. She is something wrong. Check her out, check her out, check her out. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But notwithstanding all of that, um, I remember thinking to myself as I held that little bundle of joy in my arms, oh, this is the best time because they're so cute and they're so lovely and and you look at them and they're so tiny and yet so perfect and the little toes are there and perfectly formed, the little fingers are there and perfectly formed and you're just in awe of this amazing, amazing little creature. And um, so I used to think, man, this is the best time and they're so little and helpless and cute and you're just like, wow. This is great. So going through all of that, um, I really did think that was the best time. So I'm going to give you some pointers about taming your kids. And you might be thinking, well, gee shucks. You know, um, 
isn't this a little uh, young to be taming a six-month-old? And I would say, nope, nope, nope. I would tell you the critical rules. There are some critical rules that I would suggest that every parent with kids the sage follow. The most important of the critical rules, begin as you intend to go on. Okay? Did you hear that? Begin as you intend to go on. That is the most important rule. Why? Because if you get it right from the beginning, your little baby is only going to know what you've established as a habit. At about three months old, babies start to appreciate rhythms. They start to recognize the difference between daylight and nighttime. They start to recognize that if you have a nightlight that you put on every bedtime, they start to recognize the rhythm of bedtime and they start to recognize the rhythm of the bedtime routine at three months. So if you are starting to train your baby on how to go to sleep at six months, you're you're already behind by about three months. So I would say begin as you intend to go on. If you don't want that baby sleeping in your bed at age five, don't get them started at six months. Don't get them even started at three months. If you don't want that child to require you to rock him to sleep every single night because you know you're not going to want to do it every single night, then don't do it. You might get away with it once or twice, but do not make it a habit because when you decide to break it, your baby's going to be like, what? This is not what I'm used to. This is not what we've been doing, and you're going to have the hardest time trying to break that habit. So the most important rule is begin as you intend to go on. If you want that child to appreciate, um, well, even with food, for example, and, and, and you will get between maybe not at six months, but when you get further down the road where that kid starts to eat um, um, baby food and then starts to eat solid food, if you want that child to appreciate uh, whole foods, whole grains, um, whatever healthy foods you want them to eat, you start from the time they're little. You introduce them to the green things, the green beans, the broccoli. You get them to acquire the taste for all of those things, and you will, I can't guarantee you're not going to have a fight later because it just seems like kids just get to that point where they hate all things green, at least a lot of them. But you can at least get a long way down the track if you begin as you intend to go on. I can't say it enough times. The other critical rule, be clear about the behavior you want to see. This is especially when they turn, after they turn one and they start to uh, behave and misbehave, you need to always be clear and consistent about the behavior you want to see. And it's never too early to check them if you are seeing behavior that you don't appreciate. Now, the other thing that you can do is Explain the consequences for bad behavior. Don't say things like, I hear parents say this all the time, if you scream one more time and then dot, 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 right? So the first thing the kid is thinking is, well, what's going to happen if I scream one more time? So what does the child do? She screams one more time. And the parent hasn't got 
a thing that they have thought to do if that kid screams one more time. And so nothing happens. And so what the child learns is that, oh, well, then, heck, you know, all these threats are absolutely meaningless. So if you haven't identified a consequence, do not make the threat. Now, if you have identified the consequence and you make the threat, you have to be willing to carry it out because you have to expect that your child is going to test that consequence typically one to three times just to see if you are serious. I will give you an example. I was at a clothing store, and I was in a booth trying on some clothes. Next door to me was Mom with her child who sounded like she might have been about four or five. And the child was just kind of misbehaving. She was being naughty. She was picking up stuff. She was making a lot of noise. And Mom was clearly getting really aggravated. And the mother said to her, Exactly that. If you scream one more time, and of course, what did the child do? She screamed one more time. Nothing happened. She screamed again. Nothing happened. She screamed again. Nothing happened. And so that child was learning that actually mom's not going to do a darn thing if I misbehave. Therefore, what? Therefore, I can misbehave. That is the child who's going to be out of control. That is the child who has the huge temper tantrum in the grocery store because the other thing I'll tell you about those kids at that age, if you tame them at home, you will never have the tantrum in the grocery store because if they know that if you threaten them, you are serious and you're going to carry out the consequence, then they're not going to test you out in public because they already know. The other thing is you have to respond immediately with a consequence. So if the threat is if you scream one more time, I'm going to have your dad take you out of here and put you in the car and you won't get to shop with mommy for the rest of this time, then dad needs to be out there waiting to swoop that child up and take him to the car where they will sit until mommy is done with her trip. That way, you do that enough times. That way, by time number four, number three, the kid will have figured out, if you are consistent, that if you make the threat, you're going to carry it out. And you can't wait until later to impose the consequence because the kid's not going to remember. Because at two, you know, they're just not retaining a whole heck of a lot. And they're not thinking too far ahead. And so the the consequence that you establish needs to be immediate. The other critical rule is do not nag. Say it once, impose the consequence, he heard you the first time. And the other thing that I would tell you, and this is, I think, one of the things that parents get wrong most of the time, is they underestimate the intelligence of their children. Do not underestimate the intelligence of your child. I sent both of my girls to Montessori schools, and they were reading by the time they were three. They could recognize words. They could recognize their names. They could write something of the ABCs by the time they were three years old. And it's not because they were geniuses, because all the other kids at the school could do the same thing by the time they were three, for the most part. So your kids are developing, their brains are developing at an amazing rate when they are at that stage of their development, and they are smarter than you think. And if you don't pay attention, they're training you because what they're trying to figure out is how much can I get away with. By the time your kid is two and they're having those throw-down, knock-down, fit tantrums, 
It's because they've already figured out somewhere between six months and two years, they've already figured out that you are a sucker and you can be had. And that is your fault for having underestimated the intelligence of your child. The other critical rule is follow through on the consequences every single time. Never make an idle threat. If you don't know what the consequence should be, then don't make the threat. Harder to break bad habits you have established than it is to just create good habits. And so those are some of the things that I will give you. I will give you some examples of things that you can do because I think part of the problem for parents is we just don't know. We just don't are not creative enough in coming up with, so what should the consequence be for bad behavior? And one of the things that I have found has worked very well with my children is deprivation. Deprivation works every single time. Give you some examples. If my child misbehaves, let's say we're at home, and I've got a kid who is really misbehaving, at a certain age, timeout worked for me quite well. I am going to put you in timeout now. Timeout doesn't mean you're going to your room necessarily because guess, guess what's in my child's room? Toys. There are things she can play with and she'll sit there for, you know, a minute and a minute later she's off playing. And five minutes later she has forgotten all about the fact that she's supposed to be in timeout, right? So maybe timeout means you've got to go stare at the at the wall in the corner and think about what you just did. And sometimes I didn't even impose a time frame. I would simply say, well, when you are ready to behave and you're ready to apologize and tell me how you're going to behave differently, you can come out of the corner, which gave the child control over how long she was going to sit in timeout. And really it was a question of how long are you going to sit there and be hard-headed because, you know, you can come out any time as soon as you're ready to apologize and tell me how you're going to behave differently. Is that too much to ask from a two-year-old? Absolutely not, because they can do it. Um, Other examples of deprivation. When um, Olivia was four and Jamie was two, Jamie had a tantrum. She had a fit about something. I forget what it was. And all of us were, the three of us were sitting in the uh, living room and I was about to go into the kitchen to make dinner and so I said to Jamie, you know, uh, I am, I said, you have a right to express yourself, said I, because she was screaming about something. And I said, but the rest of us don't have to be subjected to it. So what I want you to do is I want you to go into your room and close the door and you can scream all you like. When you are ready to come and behave, then you can come back to the room. And, of course, what did I hear? I heard this. <laughs> yeah, that was my baby. Carrying on, she was. And she just cried and cried and cried. And uh, I sent her. I said, okay, that's fine, but you got to go to your room. So she goes to her room. She gets to her room, and, of course, what does she do? She turns up the volume, about 10 decibels. And I said to her, uh, Jamie, I said, you have to go to your room and close the door. So she closes the door, and she screams even louder. And so I called Olivia over, and we went into the kitchen, and we started making cookies. And um, not too long thereafter, 
Jamie cried for probably five minutes. When nobody came and it didn't sound like anybody cared, guess what she did? She came out and she stood at the top of the stairs and it was the cutest thing and I'll never forget it because she was just so cute. I could have run over and hugged her. She comes out and she stands there and she looks at me and I look at her and I said, do you have something to say? And she says, through her sniffles, she goes, I'm ready to behave now. And I said, oh, well, that's fantastic. Now, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to rush over there and hug her because she was so cute, and it was the funniest little thing, and I just wanted to laugh and fuss. But I didn't want to reward the bad behavior, so I simply looked at her and I said, well, that's fine. Why don't you come and you can join us making cookies? The other thing that she understood was that Bad behavior got her ostracized while her big sister got all the attention. And, by the way, her sister also noticed that for her good behavior, she got to sit in the kitchen with mom and make cookies while her badly behaved little sister had to go sit in her room and cry. Now, which of these things would you rather prefer to do? So that was the lesson that both of them got, and as a result... We didn't have a lot of situations where somebody was throwing a tantrum. Another consequence, especially if you've got kids with siblings, I tell this to my children all the time, and they're never too too young to learn a new vocabulary. When they were about two and four, as you know, siblings will bicker and they will fight and they will, you know, hit each other and do all sorts of crazy things. When it got to the point where I was tired of listening to them bicker, I would say to them, okay, look, Having a sibling is a privilege. Do you know what that means? And, of course, the first time I said it, they didn't know. At two and four, I explained to them what privilege meant. You get to have a sister. Not everybody has one. And there are lots of kids who'd love to have a little sister or a big sister who are only children. So, therefore... That's what it means that it's a privilege. You get to have a sister. And if you don't treat your sister with love and respect, then you will be denied the privilege of having your sister talk to you. So you don't get to speak to each other until you can learn to speak to each other with respect. No more bickering. You say nothing to each other for the next however long. So that's an example of deprivation. If you are at that point where you have a child who goes out in public and they misbehave, immediately you tell them before you do it and you plan to do it because you just have to plan that the first couple of times this kid is going to test you and you have to be consistent every single time. You tell your child, hey, listen, um, privilege is one of my favorite words. So again, going to the grocery store with mom is a privilege. You don't get to misbehave at the grocery store because if you do, then you are going to go home immediately. Now, if dad is available, then you have dad come shopping with you and it's going to be a nuisance, but it will be well worth it after you get this kid trained. So dad comes and the minute, the minute you can see that tantrum coming on, you remind that child, you don't nag, you don't yell, you simply, you, you, I like to bend over and get down to their level so their face is facing mine. So I will lean all the way down and I will get that kid's eye contact and I will say, do you remember what I said when we came in here? I said, shopping with mom is a privilege. If you misbehave, you're going to leave. Now, are you going to throw a tantrum? Because if you are, daddy's going to take you out. 
And if this kid even starts, then Daddy picks the child up and swoops her out of the store, and they sit in the car, or if he came, if he drove separately, he drives the baby home. And there is no nagging. There is no repetitive conversation. There is no lecturing. It's just, well, I guess you've chosen to go home. And so you never should have the tantrum in the store. If you are by yourself, call your best friend, have your best friend come over and get that kid out of the store. If you are by yourself, then you have to have a test run to the grocery store on a day where in your head you just know the only reason you're going to the grocery store is to train this child. You're not going to finish your shopping, and the minute that kid starts to misbehave, you abandon that shopping cart immediately. Everything in it, you just leave it in the store. There are people at the store who are paid to do that sort of thing, but you whisk that kid out, you get in the car, and you don't sit there and threaten. You go home, and you tell, and then you remind that kid, Hey, I told you, you don't get to come shopping if you're going to misbehave. So we're going to try this on another day and see if you can behave the next time. And the next time you go, you tell the child, hey, you didn't do so well the last time, so we're going to try this again. And you repeat it all over again. You warn the kid what's going to happen. You make it happen. You take the kid out if it happens again. You don't yell. You don't spank. You don't scream. You don't nag. You just you just show them the consequence. Okay? Now, the other thing is, obviously, as you can hear, one of the things you have to be good at is anticipation. You have to anticipate when this child is going to behave badly. You know your child. You know what bad behavior for your child looks like. So anticipate it and plan for it before it happens. Here's what I will tell you. If you abandon that grocery, that grocery cart every single time, you will only have to do it maybe three times, and it will save you all that embarrassment and all that craziness that you otherwise have to deal with if you don't abandon that grocery cart. It will be worth it. Um, the other thing, the dropsies. This is one of the things I talked about in a, in a show earlier. The dropsies are a way of your child actually testing you. And oftentimes I find that the number of times a kid drops a fork or a spoon and mom or dad picks it up, it is also indicative of how much they can get away with. So here's what you say, and here's what I said to my little one, Olivia, when she was little. She would drop the spoon the first time. And now, you know, if they're sitting in a high chair, you've got to kind of throw that spoon in order to drop it if you're a kid. Or you purposefully have to hold your hand out there and drop it. So what I'd say to my child is, Oops, I see you dropped your spoon, and I'd pick it up, and I would clean it off, and I'd give it back to her. If she dropped it the second time, my my view was you get one time to drop the spoon, and then you don't get a spoon anymore. If she dropped it the second time, I would pick it up, and I'd say, oops, I see you must not need this anymore. And I would put it in the sink and make sure she could see me put it in the sink because she understood that actually you only get to drop it once, and Mommy is going to take away the spoon. That's true with anything. You know, the toys, oh, you must not want to play with the toy anymore. I put the toy away. And after a while, miraculously, she stopped dropping stuff. She was the strangest of things. Um, If the food is being used to paint the wall, shampoo the hair, and um, point it in places where you know the kid knows better, 
then you take away the food. Well, I guess you're not hungry anymore because kids will not starve themselves. I got that from Dr. Phil, and I thought, you know, he's got a point there. Children will not starve themselves. If they start playing with their food, they're probably done eating it. So there's no point in you forcing the child to eat it if the kid is not full, is not hungry anymore, right? Um, other suggestions. If you impose a timeout, wait at least a certain amount of time before the end of the, after the end of the meltdown before you go get your child. So, for example, with Jamie, I gave her the option when she was two to come out when she was ready to behave. Before that, when she was younger, like when she was one, I would put her in her crib if she was having a meltdown and I didn't appreciate it because she was throwing a fit over some toy or something. And I would say to her, oh, I am so sorry. I guess you want some time out. And I would say, you know, similar things. It was all, it was always the same tone of voice because I wanted her to know when you hear that tone of voice, something bad is about to happen, right? So my tone of voice was, oh, I think I'd say something like, oh, shucks. And every time she heard, oh, shucks, you know, after a while, she'd just kind of turn around and look and she'd stop what she was doing because she knew that, oh, shucks, would be followed by bad consequences that she didn't like. But I'd say, oh, shucks. I see you need a timeout, and I'd go put her in a crib. And when she was done having her fit, I would wait a good five minutes because you can't wait too long because they're little. So five minutes probably seemed like five years to her. I'd wait five minutes before I went and got her because I wanted her to associate good behavior with attention. I didn't want her to associate bad behavior with attention. If I scream and cry, I get attention. I wanted it drilled in that child's head. If you scream and cry, you will be taken away from the rest of the family. You will be deprived of love and attention until you decide to behave. Then when you behave, that's what you get rewarded for. So that is... Um, those are some examples of things that I that I have found have worked really well. The other critical thing to do with your kids, especially as they get closer between, especially between 18 months and two years, if you haven't already done them, give them choices. Bombard them with choices. Part of the reason I read in um, one of those many, many baby books I read, Part of the reason that two-year-olds are actually, you know, so prone to misbehaving and so prone to tantrums is because they're at a developmental stage in their lives where they really want to try and exercise control over their environment. And because they're two, nobody lets them. But if you give your child the ability to control parts of the environment that you don't care about, they will, it will be a much easier deal taking care of those kids. So, for example... Um, which food do you want? Before Olivia could speak, I would put two kinds of food in front of her. If it was dessert, I would put in front of her the pears and the, the, the jar of pears and the jar of peaches. This was before we could speak. And she, over time, figured out that whichever one she pointed to, that's the one she got. That's how they make choices before they can even speak. When they can speak, it's easy. Do you want the blue pajamas? Do you want the red pajamas? And if if, if your child says, I don't want to go to bed, you know, my answer was, okay, did I ask you if you wanted to go to bed? And to this day, to this day, they are, they are 11 and 8, and the conversation is still the same. Should we go to Subway or should we go to McDonald's? Well, actually, I, you know, I'm not hungry. Well, now, at this age, if they're not hungry, they're not hungry. But if I gave them a choice of two things and they picked a third thing that was not on the list, then I would simply say, well, I didn't give you that choice. 
what I asked you was. And I'd repeat the choices, and then they had to choose. Which hat would you like to wear today? Do you want to wear the white hat or do you want to wear the black hat? Oh, I don't want to wear a hat to school. Okay, see, I didn't ask you if you wanted to wear a hat to school. I asked you which hat you wanted to wear. And that's how you limit their choices. They still get to make a choice, but then they also understand that they get to choose within a certain boundary. The reason choices are great for kids is because they feel empowered. And it also allows you, frankly, to divert their attention to what they can control rather than what they cannot. Be clear about what isn't a choice if they step outside the line. Your job is not to make them happy. Your job is to empower and to raise them. So don't spend a lot of time negotiating. My my view is do not ever negotiate with a two-year-old. He's two. That's why you're the parent. You don't get to negotiate. You don't have to. Um, and, frankly, their powers of reason and logic are just not that great at that age. So there's no point in having a conversation uh, and trying to reason with a two-year-old as if they have, you know, sound judgment and reason. That's why you're in charge. So be in charge. Be clear about what isn't a choice. And um, at the end of the day, try and say yes as much as you can. Uh, for example, and I do this even today, Olivia says to me, can I have a popsicle? And it's, you know, 15 minutes before dinner. Rather than saying, no, you can't have one until after dinner, or no, you can't have one, I say, sure, you can have a popsicle right after dinner. Um, can I go outside and play? Sure, you can go outside and play right after you finish uh, practicing your violin. So I rarely, rarely say no. When they were little, at that one-and-a-half stage, when they were walking everywhere, if she went over and she started touching something she shouldn't have, I would, I might be inclined to say no if I really wanted to get her attention, like she was just about to touch, you know, something that was hot, and I just needed to get her attention. I might yell at her, you know, really sharp, no. And that would get her, it would make her jump, it would make her start, but she wouldn't touch whatever she was touching. What I might be inclined to say is, in a, in a certain tone, I would always say, Olivia, and she would turn around and look at me, and I would say, come here, and I would just divert her attention. Or I might say to her, or I might explain, if she was old enough, like when she was two and she could kind of get it, I would say, you know, hot, hot, and then I'd make a motion, like, you know, don't touch that. And so if I had to say no, I'd give her a reason. Now, she might not completely understand, but what she got was that there was a reason I was saying no and it wasn't just for the fun of it. But I, but try and find as many ways to say yes as you can, even if it's a conditional yes. It's still better than saying no to your kid all the time because then they don't feel like they have to rebel. Um, another thing that I would encourage you as a parent to do is try to keep your temper in check. By the time you get so angry with your child that you are just boiling over and angry, chances are they've been testing you for quite a while. And chances are you have not imposed responsibility nearly as early as you should have. And so don't wait until you're ticked off beyond belief. If you plan for the bad behavior ahead of time, you are much less likely to be upset. So, for example, if you if you give yourself the time and you plan to abandon that shopping cart, you're much less likely to be upset about it when it happens. Don't be mad. Don't yell. Don't nag. Don't spank. 
It doesn't work. It gives immediate release to you, but it doesn't really teach anything. It's hard to tell your kid not to hit other people when you hit them. That's the other quirky thing because they get to that age, especially boys, you know, around about that toddler age. They are physical little creatures, and part of what you spend a lot of time doing is trying to get them not to hit other kids, trying to get them not to bite other kids, and it's kind of hard to, to get them to understand that when you spank them. And so, it, you know, to the kid, it's, it's, it's kind of a confusing thing. And it's not about moral values. It's just a confusing thing for a child to understand. So the, the, the more you find immediate, appropriate consequences for, you know, the crime, and they are time appropriate, so you don't punish a two-year-old for a week for something that they did today because they're just not going to, their attention span is just not going to be long enough to remember a week's worth of punishment. Now, if your child is 11 um, and you say, well, no technology for a week, they get that. And they get they get the immediacy and what the consequence means and why they got the consequence. So age-appropriate discipline is really important. Tantrums. Some rules about tantrums. Provide minimal attention. I've already given you some examples of how you do that. Stick to your guns and you never give in. When my older child, so I told you about Jamie. Jamie's the little one and what we did with her tantrums. When Olivia was the older one, when she was two, her idea of a tantrum was she'd just fall on the floor. I mean, she'd just collapse in silence. And I thought, is this the best you can do? And uh, so I ignored her. So she one day she threw a tantrum. She fell on the floor right next to me. I ignored her. And uh, after a few minutes, I got up and I turned away and I went off to do my own thing. And um, finding herself in the room by herself, she thought, well, that's no fun. So she followed me into the next bedroom and she fell on the floor. I ignored her again and left. Then she followed me into the kitchen. And her dad and her dad sees this, right? He sees I come into the kitchen. Olivia comes into the kitchen. She falls on the floor. And he says to me, um, what's that about? And I looked at him and I whispered and I said, oh, she's having a tantrum, but don't pay no attention. And uh, so he said, okay, because I told you, dad and I were very much on the same page when it came to discipline. If I was disciplining the baby and I said, this is what we're going to do, he went with it. If he was disciplining the child and he said, this is what we're going to do, we went with it. If we didn't agree, we had that conversation behind closed doors and only behind closed doors because we never argued about it in front of the child. As far as the child knew, we were together in lockstep every step of the way. So she would fall on the floor and I ignored her. He ignored her too. And pretty soon, she stopped having the fall on the floor tantrums because she got no attention. Jamie, Jamie was a little more creative. She would scream. So then, you know, the removal happened, and it was up to her to come back when she was ready to behave. And they they know what it means to behave. I promise you, you start early. You start taming early, and you'll be surprised at how early they get it, even before there is language between the two of you. So... All of those things will really, really help. The other thing is, you know, when you're taming your kids, create a positive experience. So here's one of the things that I found to be extremely effective. When we go to the grocery store, just as parents, you know, parents, people will tell you all the time, do not go to the grocery store hungry. It will increase the number of spontaneous purchases that are not even on your list, the amount of junk food you're going to buy. Children, same thing. 
your child is much more prone to tantrums and misbehavior if you take them to the grocery store hungry. Fortunately for most of us, most grocery stores have a deli section or a food section where you can get hot food. First thing I did when that child, when we got to the grocery store, is I made it a pleasant and desirable experience. Because if you're going to tell your kid that it is a privilege to go to the grocery store, then there's got to be something about it that's fun. So first thing we'd do is we'd head off for, we'd walk into Walmart, we'd head off for the uh, food bar area that's right next to the entrance, and they could pick out whatever they wanted. So they really liked, you know, they could pick out the popcorn chicken, they could pick out the fried chicken, they could pick out whatever it was they wanted, the, the, the potato wedges, the french fries, whatever they wanted, they would get, as long as it wasn't messy and as long as I could pay for it before they ate it. Um, or as long as it came in one of those boxes such that, you know, even if it was empty, it would it would cost the same. So I would get them food. And once you know it, they spent most of the time focused on their food. So there was no, gee, I want that, I want this, I want that. And it was a fun experience. It was a good experience for them. It was a good experience for me. They're too busy eating to pay any attention to what I was doing. So that was a really, really good thing. The other thing that helped was, like I said, you don't say no very any more often than you need to. So if one of my kids said, gee, I want something, there was usually a condition. Um, I might say, well, you know, you, if it was a toy and it was something that obviously they didn't need, I would say, you know what, you see this shopping list? Why don't we put it on the next shopping list for when we come back and you can have it the next time. Now, the next time we came, they probably forgot. Or they might have eaten during the time I whizzed through that aisle, so there was no, gee, I want this. Um, Or I might say to them, you know, they're fond of the cereal aisle. There's so many cereals, and there's so many choices, and they love to pick stuff because it's pretty, not even necessarily because they're going to eat it. And so I would say, now, today, even to this day, if if they request a food, I would say, well, you can have it, but you've got to eat it. Are you going to eat it? Because I'm not going to buy it unless you're going to eat it. And they had to be committed. So when it got home and they took the first bite and they didn't like it, I'd be like, oh, no, uh-uh. you're going to finish that cereal. What did you say at the store when we bought it? You said you were going to eat it. So between you and your sister, if she eats it all, if you eat it all, I don't care who eats it, but somebody's going to eat the cereal. And they know because they remember what they said. And um, so those are the kinds of things that you can do to help make the experience more fun. If you're feeling generous, maybe they get to pick a toy at the checkout counter. And it's and and you can do it as a reward for good behavior. Hey, you you behaved so well, you get to pick a toy now that we're here and to get them something, you know, something small and cheap. Or I you can even set a price limit. You can get a you can get a toy as long as it costs $5 or less. And that way they learn boundaries in a positive way. Have as much fun as you can. Toddlers are fun. My Both of my toddlers, they were the terrific twos. We had so much fun. Have a lot of fun with your kids. Find fun things that they can do. Build self-sufficiency and empowerment. Build a positive rapport with your child. Minimize the number of times you say no, and, and even if it means the, the yeses are conditional. I want candy. Yes, you can have candy after dinner. And redirect their attention if you don't like what they're doing. And find ways to reward good behavior. Whoever is behaving better 
Don't make your good children feel like they're the ones who are always shafted for your attention because you spend so much attention and time dealing with the, the, the badly behaved kids. So make sure you're creating that balance where they see clearly that actually the good behavior truly is rewarded with more attention. Now, it's not rewarded with love, um, and you don't make your love conditional. So I will tell my kids, even to this day, even when I'm mad at them, you know, I'm really upset at what you did, I'm really disappointed, or, you know, I'm really angry at what your behavior was, but I still love you. I still love you, but still we have to figure out how we're going to fix this, and there has to be a consequence. So what are we going to do by way of punishment? I'm going to go away and think about that, and I'll let you know when I've decided. Um, But you make sure that you don't love them or you don't threaten them with your love because, that crosses into a whole different area of psychological damage that you don't want to get into. So those are all my tips today for your little kitties who are 6 to 24 months. This is Speeway saying go in peace, and I hope you really enjoy those children because they truly are at an enjoyable stage. So go in peace and love and tame your children. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.